as you can see in your, in your program, there's several things of, of note uh, we want you to be aware of and excited about. Uh, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, uh, you'll not want to miss. Um, you'll find that uh, he is a, an exciting personality, uh, but he'll get you thinking in ways you perhaps not thought before uh, about uh, prophecy. So I just want to make sure you have that on your calendar. And then this Sunday is when we will, or not this Sunday, this Wednesday is when we will begin the uh, video series on Wednesday nights on What Did You Expect by Paul Tripp. And um, that there is a book that uh, can accompany this. We do not have those books for you. That's something, if you would like those books, you can certainly purchase those on your own. Um, what, it's called What Did You Expect by Paul David Tripp, but we will provide a study guide as well as the video series uh, for us to go through and have discussions through. Either way you go, you're going to get a lot out of that. Uh, I'm just going to warn you, if you read the book, it will take you a little while. I've, I've read the book, and then I have to sit and think about it, uh, what I just read. Uh, it's just one of those books uh, that uh, kind of exposes your heart, and you wish you didn't know some of what you learned, uh, but that's the nature of who we are. Uh, as sinners, and it's a good thing in bringing us to, to Christ. Now, we are uh, continuing our study uh, this morning as we look in at the Holy Spirit and specifically His role. Um, we're going to be continuing reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and reading that together. I encourage you to go ahead and turn. But I uh, do want to remind you about something I mentioned last Sunday on uh, July 22nd, we will have a sacrifice of praise time together. Uh, this was done uh, at the initiation of really Bernard, uh, Masai, and their family, and just thanksgiving of what the Lord is, has done in their life. And we just encourage you, if you've got some uh, thanksgiving of the Lord that you'd like to uh, uh, join in on that day of how God's worked in your life, you'd like to do a sacrifice of praise, it is a time of offering to the Lord. Um, that is something that you can certainly consider and, and decide on your own. It, we see this in the Old Testament. There are also New Testament uh, parallels to this as well. But one example in the Old Testament is found in 1 Samuel uh, in chapter 1 and chapter 2. You've got Hannah who prays and is on her knees before God in the tabernacle, at the tabernacle in prayer for her child. God answers her prayer. And in response to that, she makes a vow that she will give a sacrifice to the Lord. And part of that is to lend Samuel, alone Samuel to the Lord in the service of the Lord. And so she goes back to the tabernacle. And she has an interesting phrase. It says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. I think when we consider what God has done, she says, therefore, I loan him out to the Lord. It is right and appropriate for us still to have a therefore, after God has done something in our life, therefore. Uh, what, what are the implications of God's working in your life? And, and this is something that uh, Bernard and their family made a vow to the Lord and just wanted to follow up in the congregation of his people here at Green Pines, and so I just wanted you to uh, have that in mind. That'll be in July 22nd. Now, I trust you've been given ample time to uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, and uh, we did not finish that uh, text uh, last Sunday. And in fact, uh, and I'll have some review 
there's a lot of implications in what we're reading together. And uh, we're going to continue with the thought of what does the Spirit of God do in a church body? Uh, how is it that we're a church? And so in this text, in realizing that this is God's Word, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this. And I'm, I'm just going to start with verse 1, if you can handle standing through the 31 verses. I'm going to focus primarily on verse 13 through 31. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is a Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of, of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit of utterance of wisdom, and to another the Spirit, or to other the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye... I do not belong to the body, that would not make any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, would it be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers... All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. As God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. You may be seated. In the book Loving God by Chuck Colson, 
It refers to the energy crisis of 1977. A good many of you remember this fairly vividly. The governor of Virginia ordered energy use to be restricted to non-essential buildings. No one was particularly surprised when at the top of his list he had churches listed. In the eyes of the world, and unfortunately many people in the church itself, the church is only a building. Expensive buildings, many times underused, except for a few hours on Sunday with an occasional midweek service or function. But for the most part, the building seems empty, so why use the scarce resources to heat it? The same people will often consider the church as just another institution, just another bureaucracy run with its ministers and priests and lawyers and are like the lawyers and doctors have their own order so the church will have their own uh, structure. And so while it may fulfill a worthwhile social and inspirational function, it's kind of like the art society or maybe a civic club and and most people could get along fine without it. Well, unfortunately, a lot of times the church starts believing what people say about them. But when you read the Bible, there's a totally different attitude, a different definition of the church. And that it's not an organization. But as we read in 1 Corinthians 12, that in fact it is an organism. And it runs... Totally different from an organization than an organism. That it's not just an organization or those ideas. It's not just a monument to what has been in the past. If you've been like me, we've been watching Andy Griffith. All right? I I, I caught, they had the Andy Griffith marathon evidently yesterday. I caught a few of them. And it was good. And then, but they often thought of it is, isn't it, of, man, I wish days were still like that. I'm not sure if days ever were like that, um, but it, it represents something to us. And now the show is a monument, a monument to what has been. And, and so we watch that as a little time capsule to go back in time. And, and the passing of, of, of Andy Griffith is, is a sad moment because it represents a, a death of a monument, so to speak. And sometimes we think the church can be like that, that it's a monument. But it's not to be a monument. A church is, when we read in the Bible, a movement. It is not a hotel where the saints of the society come together. But it has a mission tied to it. A purpose tied to it. And which is more of a a hospital for sinners. And so we need to be careful that we look not at what society in America has said the church is, but what indeed what the Bible says about what the church is, who we are. And perhaps maybe in reading the Bible, it even corrects our own thoughts of how we view church. The church does not primarily draw people in. The church sends people out. Thus, The idea of being a greenhouse for the Great Commission, of sending them out. It's not to get comfortable. 
It is to change the society. It's rather to make society uncomfortable. Jesus likened the kingdom of God to yeast that has a spreading aspect to it. Interesting, when we look in the ancient records of how society viewed the church, we've got this letter written by Aristides describing the Christians to the Roman emperor Hadrian. He writes, they love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home and are happy as though he were a real brother. They don't consider themselves brothers in the usual sense, but brothers instead through the Spirit in God. He writes this letter to explain to Hadrian the emperor why it is the church is spreading, why they're having a hard time limiting it. When we read 1 Corinthians 12, and then he describes the more excellent way of chapter 13, which is what we know as the love chapter, it is church growth. Church growth is simply the church being the church. We ask, well, how do, how do we change Nightdale? How do we reach Nightdale? What are the evangelistic methods of Green Pines Baptist? If we're following the biblical definition is simply this, church being church. Our evangelistic method is people going out to the community that have been redeemed and changed by the gospel. Yes, we have events like Vacation Bible School. That's just a tool. Yes, we'll do some door-to-door survey work praying for the community. That's just a tool. We'll have community-wide events like Cinco de Mayo, we'll maybe even serve a school like we were doing with Hodge Road. These are just tools, but you know what the primary method? Those aren't primary methods. The primary method is when Tony goes out into the community, when Lynn goes out to the community, when Gary goes out to the community, when Alyssa is out in her workplace, uh, when, when we have the Julies and the Jennifers and the Christies and the Jessicas out in their workplace with the neighborhoods, with their families, when they just reflect Christ. The primary evangelistic method of a church are the people of the church. The relationships therein. But, as we've read in 1 Corinthians 12, we need one another to properly reflect Christ in the community. We need the body. We are to be not just part of the community, but we are to be a community to change the community. We're here to serve Nightdale. We're here to serve the world. So, how does that happen? Alright, now, let's look in our Bibles. And I'm just going to do a little bit of review. And I may just share some things that I forgot last week. But then, we'll continue on giving out uh, a new, some new thoughts to consider that come from this passage, some new truths. First of all, we looked at the Spirit of God produces the worship God, the worship of God, through the people of God declaring the Word of God. And this we see as we look primarily at verse uh, three, in contrast to the pag- pagans, the Spirit of God is working within people to produce with them worship of God through God's Word. To say that Jesus is Lord, 
This is what I'm talking about. This is the evangelistic methods of people just doing that. Not just verbally saying it, but living it out in their life. So this is what the Spirit of God does in our life. Now, we'll keep on going uh, as, we, as we read through here. Uh, that one of the things is the spiritual gift is, is Jesus pursuing, pursuing his mission through the members of the church. Is, is that God gives, through the Spirit, gifts, abilities, talents. And this is... Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, still working his mission. So it's very important that the church has the mission of Jesus. And if the church starts by morphing and changing subtly its mission, then the church can cease being a church if it doesn't stay true to the mission of Jesus. Part of the definition of being that church. Now... We keep on reading, we see in verse 6 and 7, the Spirit of God gifts each believer, each person is gifted. If they're in the Spirit of God, if they are united in Christ by the blood of, of Jesus and the Spirit of Christ, then the is gifted. She's gifted. And then we, we look at this and see the Spirit of God gifts each believer for the good of the church. What's the point of the gift? What's the point of the ability? It is to boost up, to build up, the church that God places you in. And so the question every person needs to ask themselves, if they're a follower of Christ and in this church, is what am I good at? And how am I using that for the church? Well, isn't that kind of arrogant for you, Pastor, to say that? Well, how else can you interpret verse 7? To each of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common Good. How do you interpret that? Is it not to say how God's gifted you? Using it for the good of the church? And if you're not using what you're good at for the purpose of the church, then there has been an individualism that has risen up in your heart that has trumped the community of Christ, the body of Christ. It is, listen, it is reflections of idols in our heart when we don't use what we're good at for the good of the church. Okay, just something to think through. Uh, now, we keep on just in, in way of review. The Spirit of God gifts each believer to be interdependent. And we see this through the, the analogy of the body. And he starts listing out the various gifts that people have uh, and or could have. And, and hopefully we'll have some time to just uh, explain some of these. Uh, but notice that the idea is to be interdependent. So, so that has some implications. Some implications we brought out is that no one has them all, but we need each other. There's not a super believer out there that has all the spiritual gifts, and they are, then that's Jesus Christ, okay? He, he, uh, he was sufficient, he was capable, he did not need believers. But he came as a servant so that we would be in him, and none of us have all the gifts, so there is an independence that we need each other. And so that means I need the local church for God to continue work in my life. I need the local church. And that's something that we as Americans, we don't like to say. We want to be the frontiers type that will settle lands and just do it on our own. Self-made individuals. Self-made individuals cannot be believers. Get this? Self-made individuals cannot be believers because at the heart of being a believer is to say I'm poor in spirit and I need God. 
to remake me, to birth someone new in me. And then he applies it across the board to the church. So, uh, what are, what are some other implications? Well, um, church happens when we're all contributing. When we're all contributing. Now listen. Okay, listen. When we're in church, it's not just listening to one person speak. It is that the Spirit of God is working in our life as we hear the Word of God. As we hear something, you know, this is a fairly quiet congregation. Now, I, I can't fault that because I'm fairly quiet normally, I think. In other words, if I'm listening to someone preaching, I'm not the guy going, Amen, preach it. I'm, I, I'm not that guy, typically. My granddad was, and I loved it for it, but he kind of, he kind of threw me off when he was here because... Um, some would speak up. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. But why does that take place? When, when there's verbal affirmation in a service, it's not just to say, I agree. That is true. Hopefully you're saying, I agree with that. Or that resonates in my heart. But it's also to say, yes, I affirm that. The Spirit of God is in my life affirming what you just said. Hear that. Hear that. And so when someone is saying, yes, if you feel in your, in your spirit, when you're hearing the word of God, a prompting in your life to, to just speak up just a little bit, it's okay. And it's very well that God's prompting you to do that. Prompting you to do that. And we need to be very careful if we're going to squelch that because that's not what everyone else is doing. Somewhere along the way, you need to understand when you listen to the Spirit of God, not just what the people around you are doing. Because it could be that God is using the Spirit of God in your life to change the very atmosphere. Now listen, I don't know if you ever had opportunity to speak much to the groups, but there is a difference when you come to a group of people and they have a hungry heart for what you're sharing. When you go and you're reading the Word of God and you're listening to what someone may be saying and saying, man, I need to hear from the Lord and perhaps God can use this to speak to my life. Or perhaps maybe God can use this in my life and I don't know yet how it's going to happen this week, but I'm going to listen carefully because it could very well be that I'm going to be put into a situation where I need to hear these things from the Lord or I need to share these things from with the Lord. I had a lady come up last Sunday and she just said, you know, I want to get a copy of the CD because I was listening to this and I thought, you know, this is good stuff that, I, that this person needs to hear for their marriage. Now, did I talk about marriage? That wasn't, that wasn't my topic, marriage. But the Spirit of God was using that and, and was making connections with her and her life and friends nearby and to say the Spirit of God was working to put these things together. And so now... She is becoming a minister of the word, not just receiving the word, but a minister of the word as she's applying what she's hearing and giving it to someone else. Listen, when you are the type of person that hears the word of God with the idea of, I want to share the word of God, do you think God wants to give you his word? Do you think God wants to teach you things of his word if you have that mindset? You're a multiplier. You're a minister. And so I just want to encourage you, when we all contribute, there's different ways we do that. 
But if the mindset is, okay, pastor, entertain me, you better make it engaging or else I'm out. That says more about you than it does anything else. You're not coming with the spirit of worship. You're not coming eager to hear what God's spirit might be saying to you. You're coming with the idea of it's about me. Now, that being said, I don't think a pastor should be boring. Okay? There, there, there should be a little easier to listen to from time to time. All right, so just, just something to consider that the Spirit of God gives us uh, His gifts to be interdependent with one another, that we need to hear from one another. That's an important aspect of this. And so the church happens when we all are contributing. And so the, one another implication is that we don't have to do this all by ourselves. You don't have to take on all the responsibilities that come to a church and say, that's mine, I'm going to take it. That's a good way to kill yourself. It's a good way to burn out. And so you've got to let room for other people to use their gifts. And then as we kept on reading, we, we looked at the Spirit of God gives unity to the people of God. And one of the things that we brought out is that the Spirit of God must be more important than the other things that we often try to unify ourselves around, like race. Ethnicity and the socioeconomics, even age. One of the things that we're blessed in this church body is that there is a diversity of ages. That is a gift. You know, you can go to some places and you don't have diversity of gifts or diversity of ages. We need senior saints and we need new babies in the faith. We need them both. We need folks who have been around for a while, and we need folks who are new, new to life. Seniors, you know what will happen 10 years from now, 15 years from now? What, what would this place look like 10, 15 years from now if we don't have younger people? And younger folks, do you know what it would be like if we didn't have senior saints? We would be all emotional. We'd get dramatic. Sometimes we need the folks who've been around for a while to say, you know what, I've been through that. I've seen God work through that too. It's okay. It's okay. Or I've learned something about this. We, we went through this before. We, we learned some things and we need to share with one another. And so this, the diversity that is there of, of ages, but what the point of it is, is that we're not bonded because we all look alike. We're not bonded because we're all the same age are the same economic basis or the ethnicity that's there, we're bonded by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God gives unity to the people of God. You notice in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. And then uh, the sixth point of last week, the Spirit of God gives diversity to the people of God. We're going we're gonna to look at that in, in just a little bit. But the idea is that we're not going to all look alike. He says... Uh, in that day and time in Corinth, the people were, were taking the spiritual gifts and making it a point of division and, and applying their pride and saying, this is the best gift. Everybody needs to be like this. And so they were uh, encouraging everybody to have the same gift and, and they're dividing over this. And what Paul is saying, that's just wrong. Not everyone should look the same. That's why not everyone should, a whole body should be one eye. He says, everybody, a body has different parts for a reason. Okay, And so that's what he's bringing out here is the diversity is a good thing. And the Spirit of God is the very one who gives us this diversity. As we see in verse 12. 
Now, that's review. <laughs> All right. So, let's start today. Uh, as we read verse 13, I want you to learn this other lesson. In the Spirit, we are one with Christ. We are one with Christ. Now, you say, well, Pastor, didn't you already say that? We have unity in the Spirit. Okay, yes. But I want to bring out a nuance of this. Of to say that we are one with Christ. Uh, you see in verse 12, For just as the body is one, has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Here's what I'm trying to bring out. We cannot separate Christ from his body. We cannot separate Christ from his body. Sometimes I'm visiting folks and they say, you know, I, I love Christ. I, I appreciate the Christian faith and I'm glad that Jesus died on the cross for me. But I really don't like the organized religion. I don't like the institutional church. And I just soon go without the institutional church. You heard that before? It's okay, yeah. Okay. Yes. This is something I've heard before. And, and maybe for good reason. Because they've been hurt. Most of the folks that visit, most of them, it's not that they've never heard of the church or they never heard of the gospel. The problem is they have. And they were hurt. You know what I'm saying when I say that? They have had experience with the church and they were hurt. And they didn't know how to deal with that pain other than, I just don't want that church or any church if they're all like that. Christ, yes. Church, no. However, the point that Paul is making is that just as the body is one as many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. The point is that the body, the church, is Christ. We are one with Christ, and we cannot separate the body from Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Remember, he's referring to a local body. This letter is written to the church of Corinth. Sometimes we think, well, yes, Christ is the head of the universal church. In other words, all the churches across time and, and location, the universal church. But he's also the head of every local body. So, if we are divorced from Christ, what happens when you cut off your head? You're dead. And you stink. All right? Right? Just bring in all other gross stuff. But the point is, that if we're apart from the head, then we cease being a body. We're gross. If we are divorced from the Spirit of God, this is why it's so important to say that we must be filled with the Spirit. It is not an option for the church. The church Green Pines Church cannot survive unless the body, the believers, are yielded to the Spirit of God. If we're not filled with the Spirit of God, then we have cut off the head of our church. Individually and corporately. It matters how you wake up in a day. It matters not just to you. It matters not just to your family. It matters not just to those you happen to come across in the day. It matters to the church. We must be yielded to the Spirit of the Lord. And when there is within our own heart desires that ramp up against God's Spirit, it is a point of division not only in our own body, it is a point of division in the church, and it is something that must be quickly, quickly repented of and sought forgiveness for. 
prolonged periods where there is no Spirit of God in leadership in our body is ample opportunity for Satan to come in. And we don't even need Satan. We can do it ourselves and destroying a church. In the Spirit, we are one with Christ. Now, what is that? Just another implication here. Not only we cannot separate Christ from the body, what one does to the body, they do to Christ. What one does to the body, they do to Christ. All right? Uh, Jesus brought this out. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 5, he makes allusion to this. Matthew 18, verse 5, whoever receives such receives one such child in my name receives me he brings out this idea of how you receive this one is determining and showing how you're receiving me now you go to matthew 25 and jesus is talking about the uh the end times or the judgment day and interesting when you read verse 31 through verse 46 he talks about how one group took care of him fed him Visited him in prison, and another group did not. And the question they asked is, well, Jesus, when did we feed you? When did we visit you in prison? And Jesus says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And when he didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it unto me. You remember in Acts chapter 9, Saul is having that conversion experience in the Damascus Road? Remember, up to this point, Saul had been persecuting believers. He had been throwing them in prison. He was approving of the stoning of Stephen. Uh, He was rounding them up, seeking their death. And then Jesus confronts them through a blinding light. And Saul asks, Who who are you? Who is this one speaking to me? And, And Jesus responds, You're the one persecuting me. You're the one persecuting me. How was Saul persecuting Jesus? By attacking the church. Now, so understand how we treat the body. What one does to the body, we do to Christ. What does it say when as believers in Jesus Christ, we Do not make a discipline of gathering with the body. What does it say we're doing to Christ? If we ignore the body of who? Christ. We are ignoring Christ. Now, when we speak bad about believers, what are we doing? We are speaking bad about Christ. Now let me just share. I've I've talked about this with our our staff throughout the years. Not just this group, but to others. Sometimes shepherds get aggravated with their sheep. And sometimes shepherds can speak mean about their sheep. One thing I've made a promise to do is I will not speak bad about Green Pines Baptist Church. Why? Because she's Christ's body. 
That's why. We don't speak bad about any church of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's the body of Christ. When we are one with Christ, what we do with the body is what we are doing with Christ. And it matters. It matters. To separate a member from the body is to bring death to the member and loss of functionality to the body. When you think about that, I, um, I watched that um, was an account of, a, of a, a, a hiker a few years ago. Some of you will remember the story. He got stuck. Uh, I forgot where out west. And hiking, he was all by himself. The rock fell on his arm. Yeah, yeah. This <laughs> is gross. He took his pocket knife, and after like some 172 hours, he cut off his arm with a pocket knife. I don't know why I watched that. I mean, that's just gross. But if something grabs my attention about that, of what would it take a person to go through such extremes? And it's interesting, the underlying theme in, in this, this story was how this man was basically self-centered and individualistic and didn't want to uh, share his whereabouts with anybody, just wanted a life by himself, and that's exactly what he got. Life by himself. And he thought it was good as long as he was self-sufficient, but when life came into such a point where he couldn't escape it, he realized the tragedy of living life by himself. And he had to go through desperate measures. But we all cringe because that thought is just gross and nasty because we'd have to be desperate to cut off a body member. So what's going to happen to that body member? Well, the body member is going to die. It's going to stink. It's going to do that whole thing again. All right. Now, if you're a chicken, it might flop around for a little while. All right. But it's going to die. It's going to die. Why? Because it's separated from the source of life. Now, if we are the body of Christ, guess what happens when we have this mentality of, I can do it on my own? You won't be able to. You won't be able to. God has not designed the life of Christ in that way. You remember John 15? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it's the picture of the, the sap running from the vine to the branches flowing out and the importance of abiding in Christ. And so we abide in Christ, life of dependency of Christ. And guess what does that also mean? The body of Christ. To say that we abide in Christ but yet not dependent on the body is inconsistent. There's a reason why it's called the body of Christ. Now, let me just bring out something here. When we seek the counsel of the Lord, when we're trying to make decisions in our life, and we want, we want God's will, you know, sometimes what we'll do, we'll, we'll say, we'll, we'll come up with the decision that we kind of always wanted to anyway, and we'll just sanctify that decision by saying we're going to pray about it, and say, well, I'm praying God's will will be done, but on the while, it's in our heart, I'm going to do what I want to do, and this makes all the sense in the world for me to go and do this. And when someone asks you, are you sure about that decision? Well, I believe it to be God's will. So how do you respond to that? Oh, <laughs> that's like the trump card. 
I can't. But let me ask, how did you discern God's will? I prayed about it. Well, good. It's a good step. What else? Well, that's all I had to do, right? I wanted to make the decision, prayed about it. Bam, got sanctified. I went through the right process, and now I'm doing God's will. Let me ask you, the body of Christ, if we're going to seek God's direction, does it make sense if the body of the Christ is the body of Christ to seek spirit-filled believers and to ask them, what do you think? And to give them free input in your life? If it's the body of Christ? There's going to be points of conflict here because we live and grow up and breathe individualism in our, in our country. Individualism is not the same thing as church. Individualism in a church is sin. It is to understand that I'm not of my own. The gifts and abilities that I've got are not just for me. Therefore, the body of Christ. And I need to consult spirit-filled believers and the body of Christ. And the thing is, the body of Christ, for it to be the body of Christ, ought to be filled with spirit-filled believers. Well, that was point number one. And the spirit, we are one with Christ. For in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. So you get that verse 13? This is where I'm coming from, to be filled with the Spirit. Is that not only have the Spirit of, the Spirit of God entered into my life, I've been baptized, He's now part of me, but I'm being nourished by God's Spirit. It's that, that the drinking, it has the images of, being, of the baptism and the Lord's Supper, these two ordinances of a church that, uh, that Jesus asked every church to do. So it has these images, but it's not just the little acts of baptism, the little acts of Lord's Supper, but what they point to. And that my life is in Christ. To be nourished by God's Spirit is in critical point. And which, by the way, we're going to talk about next again next Sunday what it means to be filled with the Spirit again. I'm going to be out. Mike Griffin's going to come in. He's going to share again about being filled with the Spirit and the importance of that. For in the one Spirit, we're all baptized into one body. And so what that means, one of the things that, that I shared about is that the Spirit of God matters more to me then being a Jew, then being Greek, then being a slave, then being a free, and I will add to it, the Spirit of God matters more to me than being young, more than being old, more than being uh, of a musical style, uh, more than any of these things is the Spirit of God. Now, as we keep on reading this idea of the body that he brings out, point number two, or second truth, in the Spirit... Unity is something we already possess, and we just preserve it. When we're in the Spirit, unity is something we already possess. It is ours to preserve, to maintain. For instance, now when any of you had a child born, did that child come out hopefully with, with, with the parts, or hopefully not with all the parts scattered? I mean, that, that would be bad. Oh, here's a heart. Oh, where's, where's the leg? It came out, by definition, one. And so, part of my job as a parent is to maintain the unity of my child. And that can be a tricky thing when you have a couple boys. I don't want their parts scattered. 
I, I tell my wife whenever she goes, I have two goals. They stay alive, and I don't lose my cool. And I found those are only, only two goals I need to have. If I start adding to it, it, it breaks down. All right? Um, remember that, dads. Two goals. <laughs> Keep them alive. Don't lose your cool. All right? And, and so you maintain the unity because it's a body. Jesus is saying that our, Paul is bringing out we're a body. We are already one when we're in the spirit. And for example, if you look in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, I want you to notice the terminology in this passage, a very similar passage. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain, listen, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Notice that terminology? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So here's the good news. If we are living a biblically normal Christian life of yielded to the Spirit of God, unity is going to come as a byproduct. In other words, my goal is not to say as a pastor, be unified, be unified, be unified. That's not our goal. Have you ever been in one of those settings? Sometimes promise keepers had that feel a little bit of, let's just be unified. The thing is, unity is not our goal. Unity is a byproduct of having the same spirit and the same purpose and the same Lord. And so for a person to be a believer, by definition, they have that. Spirit of God, one Lord, one purpose. And so just be in Christ. My goal as a pastor, let's be in Christ. Let's be filled with the Spirit. Unity is going to come. And so what I have to watch out for, and what we have to watch out for, is those things that threaten the unity. Because unity is going to happen. We've got to watch out for the, the swords that come in. We don't, want, we don't want Canaan playing with a knife. It's not good to maintain his unity, or the unity of anyone else for that matter. And so we identify it, see it as a danger, and separate it from him. Scripture is very ample in sharing with us danger points. In fact, anything that grieves the Spirit of God, quenches the Spirit of God, also threatens the unity of a church. This is where we looked at a couple weeks ago about the, the idea of talking. That talking can be a unity builder and encourager, or it can flat out destroy a church and its effectiveness in the community. When we have members join our church, one of the things, and some of you remember this as you joined, we ask them, if you commit to join this church, one commitment that you, could, that you will take on is that you will commit to protect the unity of the church. In other words, it's, it's there. But when you join our church, you're going to commit to protect that unity. How do you do that? There's three ways. One, you love. You commit to love one another. Second, you refuse to gossip. And third, whatever leaders God places in this church body, you recognize their leadership that God's placed there, and you submit to that leadership. There's more scripture that speaks to those three main tactics, but it's to 
bring out and why, and to say, look, if we, if we are slandering with one another, that's a knife. And it can cut us off from the Spirit of God and so consequently from one another. So in the Spirit, unity is something we already possess. It is ours to preserve. Now, I want you to notice as we're reading this text, this is, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God is the one arranging them. It goes on, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. I want you to note who's doing it. God's doing it. God is the one who brings to a church. God is the one that grows a church. Our job is to be faithful to God. Now, some of you thought, well, now, Pastor, I know clearly I chose to be a part of this church body. I remember a point where my wife and I weighed the pros and cons, and we decided, hey, this is where we need to be. We made that choice. I would say, yeah, yeah okay, on your side, yeah, you did that, on your side. But you need to understand that there is a God who works through the decisions of people and can influence and determine the decisions of people. God has that capability. And that when we look at it from Scripture, what you think where you chose, the Bible says, no, God added. God brought you. So what does that put my confidence in? It puts my confidence not in your ability to choose. It puts my confidence in God's ability to add and take away. And I assure you, I'd much rather wait on the Lord than wait on the people. There's not many promises that go with waiting on the people. And I just want you to understand the role that God is doing. And that's why when, when folks visit, and I have a chance to talk to them, one of the things I always tell you, pray and seek God's direction. Because when it's all said and done, it doesn't matter how many children activities, how many activities are going on in the ministry, uh, or what the, the music is like or not like, what instruments are played or what not played, what the facilities look like and don't look like. What ultimately matters is what God is leading you. And this is part of the antidote of living in America. It's that we are not captains of our own fate. But there is a God who is, and we love him. And we will count on him to direct us. Now, in the spirit, differences are abundant and good. In the spirit, when everyone is submitted to the spirit of God, it doesn't look uniform. Some things, we need to be all uniform. And he's all have the same characteristics. Well, no. All needs to be marked by the word of God. means marked by the spirit of God. Marked by the commands, the love of God. Yes, it needs to be marked by that, but it's going to look different. And it's okay. In the Spirit, there are abundant differences, and they're good to be different. And so he goes on, and it illustrates this with the body parts, and how a foot is different from the eye, and, and, but nowhere does a foot can say, I don't belong to the body, I don't like the eye, I don't like what the eye is doing. There isn't this idea that just because the eye isn't doing what the foot is doing, that the foot shouldn't get along with the eye. Now, how does that play out? There, there are many of you who have gifts of service. Some of you have gifts of teaching. Some of gifts of encouragement. Some might have the gift of evangelism. And you'll look at the same situation with totally different perspectives and priorities. 
And what you think is a tension, or what you think is a disagreement, may in fact be just a tension that is managed by the Spirit of God and His Word. Now, let me just take this practical for a little bit. We have a beautiful building. This building is a product of generations of people who have serviced and sacrificed. Right? There are those who have the gift of service and ministration. And they see all the things that can happen bad to a building. I think if we keep on doing this, the building is not going to sustain itself. It's going to look trashy. It's going to look bad. And it's going to look poorly in our community. And this building belongs to everybody. Then there are others and the church who will emphasize the church is not just a building. It is a body. These are tools. They need to be used by God. Used for God. Come what may. We're going to use them for the Lord. Sometimes there's a tension. And I would say there is a tension in our body. But I would bring to your attention that it's not a disagreement. It is not a disagreement. It is a tension where everybody needs to see the value of each other and say, this is true. And this is true. And they're both true. And we need to find a course where we respect the sacrifice of all that's been involved in keeping the building looking good. Let's clean up after ourselves. Let's pick up the trash. Let's put things back where we found them. And then there's also an aspect to say, yes, and we will do that. But understand that these are tools and they won't last. And they're going to be destroyed at some day. And until that time comes, let's use them for the glory of God. And it both goes hand in hand. I just wonder, can we do that, church? Can we do that? I would say in the spirit of Jesus Christ, we can and we will in the spirit of Christ. In the spirit, differences are abundant and good. In the spirit, our roles are all different, but valuable. We can't say this is more important than this. We can say there's things that tie to our purpose, and our purpose matters, of being that greenhouse for the Great Commission, of making reproducible disciples of Jesus Christ that will change this world. That's important. But all the gifts and jobs that we have are extremely important to make that happen. Amen. And so whether you're in the nursery or whether you're building, or you're cleaning. Did you know there's a group of folks that said, you know what, we, we just need to take care of the pews because they look terrible. And we need, to, we need to take care of that. Now, many of you didn't think about it when you sat down, unless it looked terrible. But these things don't happen on their own. There are a group of people who volunteer to mow the grass at 100 degrees. We don't think about it unless we see a lot of weeds and we have to walk through it. And then we start thinking about it. But there's a group of people, they just, they do that. They want to do that. Now that's important. In our church, in our culture, where we are, if we're going to try to reach Nightdale and we have tall grass, 
What are we going to be known for? Are we going to be known for love? You know what Nidal's going to know us for? That's the church that never takes care of the yard. <laughs> and that's a silly thing not to have the gospel heard over. But it matters where we live. It matters well. And so someone uses their abilities and time and talents and they do it. And that's important. And what does it matter if someone teaches the word of God, but no one wants to come? No one in the community wants to hear because they don't have the grass mode. Now, this is what it's like to live here in America, and it's okay. We just use our gifts and abilities, and everyone is important. They're all valuable. Now, I just want you to, to end on this, this thought. In the Spirit, when we are in the Spirit of God, when we are submitted to the, to the Spirit of God, we answer Jesus' prayer. When we are submitted to the Spirit of God, we are answering Jesus' prayer. Now, what prayer am I talking about? John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23. This is what was called the Lord's Prayer, a better name for it, the Lord's Prayer of His prayer for the church. Praying specifically for those who will come after. Now, let me read verse 20. I do not ask for these only, referring to these only apostles around Him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, that's you and me. He prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So he's praying that we will have a unity, the same unity of the Father and the Son, which is done through how is the Father and Son unified? The Spirit. The Father and the Son are unified in the Spirit. And so he prays that they will be one just as we are one. And that can be made available through Jesus giving us the Spirit of God. And says, I'm praying that there will be one. How does that happen? It happens when the Spirit of God comes into your life and we yield to God's Spirit. Every time I yield to God's Spirit, I am answering the prayer of Jesus that I be one. Now, what's the point of that? That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. What makes the difference? What's the apologetic for Nightdale? You know what I mean by the word apologetic? What is the defense of the faith? How is that people will believe the Christian faith? The apologetic for Nightdale is a green pines that's unified in the Spirit of God. That Nightdale may believe that the Father sent Jesus is done through a church unified in the Spirit. And he prays, The world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. The glory, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. You know what the glory of Jesus was? It was the Spirit of God. You know what he did? You know how he was able to do what he did? Through the Spirit of God. The same way you and I walk. It wasn't just out of his, his divine, His deity. It was also done through the Spirit of God. That they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me. That they may become perfectly one. So the world may know that you sent me and loved them. Even as you loved me. Christ, Colossians 1.27. Christ in me, the hope of glory. She said, same glory you've given to me, I give them to them. I give them 
Christ in them. I give them the Spirit of God. So that when they are one, and they're one because they're one in spirit, yielded to the Spirit of God, when that happens, the world will know that the Father sent Jesus, and then the world will know that God loves them. You have a neighbor. You have a family relative. They don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. You pray for them. God, I pray someday before they die, they're saved. So, man, I'm talking to down the street. Had surgery not too long ago. Praying he's not ready. He's, I'm not ready to receive Jesus Christ. I'm praying that he will. When I read this passage, how will that man know that God loves him? One of the ways that man knows God loves them is when his church is one in Christ. One in spirit with the love of God in their hearts. The apologetic for Nightdale is green pines being one in the spirit, therefore loving one another and loving the community they're in. The spirit of God matters. When we're not yielding to the Spirit of God, not only does it devastate the church and keep the church being from what it is called to be, it damns a community. One of the reasons that many people don't love the church is because they've experienced some of the church. Every time a church splits... It's a generation of young people that more often than not will turn their back to God when they grow up. We are responsible. Do not let blood be on our hands. And it's done individually and corporately as we submit to God and His Spirit. Let's pray.